0: This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to Elevate, the student ministry of Living Word Church, where we exist to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. Thank you for sharing some of your time with us today. May it elevate Jesus and encourage you. Let's get started. You need to grab your metaphorical seatbelts and buckle up click, click, clickety-click, buckle up like you're going out of the atmosphere. Are you ready? We are living on a timeline of thousands and thousands of years, but our timeline is full of people. Right now, currently, there are about 8 billion people on the planet. Now, what if, what if I laid a string which I can't buy after January 1st, of firecrackers from one side of the stage to the other, right? People are being born, growing up, having babies, dying. Those babies grow up, have babies, die. Those babies grow up, and I just lit this firecrackers, ready? i was, just, you know, let's pretend together, right? Does anyone remember the 17th one? What about the 60th one? When we actually get our heads out of the sand a little bit and we look at reality on a planet of 8 billion people in a timeline of thousands of years, each of our lives emits a tiny flash of light, a pop. Amidst a thunder of other pops and flashes of light, and we're gone. And the significance of any particular one of us vanishes as fast as we showed up. We're diving into the book of Ecclesiastes tonight. We're gonna spend three weeks in it, we're gonna look at it, three different topics purposes, uh, ideas that Ecclesiastes points out at us. And Ecclesiastes has a way of being a cold splash of water to our face. And you know what? Sometimes I think we need that. In Christian circles, we project an image that often doesn't line up with reality. And in Christian circles, sometimes we project images that aren't even true to Scripture, and one of, the, one of the ideas that is always out there is, man, if you love Jesus, if you're a Christian, everything is good. Everything goes well for you. You have health, you have wealth, and if you pray about it, you get the parking spot at Walmart. And a lot of us buy into it. And then suddenly, something happens that rocks us out of our self-made deception and illusion that we can't explain anymore. I'm a Christian, but someone that I love passed away. I'm a Christian, but all my money was lost in some sort of financial crazy thing. I'm a Christian, but fill in the blank. And then the first person that is to blame is God. God. So we're projecting this image that doesn't line up with reality and it's an image that we don't even live up to because it calls our faith to question every time reality genuinely hits us. And Ecclesiastes dives into this and asks hard questions that most of us ignore because they're uncomfortable and wrestles with them. If God is really in control. Why do bad things happen? Doesn't serving God make things go our way? Shouldn't good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people? The author of Ecclesiastes boldly and bravely jumps into this kind of stuff. He, what he's going to do is he's going to take life and all the things that we feel are important and he's going to put them on trial and he's going to cross examine them. He's going to, in another analogy, he's going to disassemble them. And he's going to analyze them. And he's going to say, what really is stable? What really has purpose? What really has value? Is life everything we've summed it up to be? Is life worth everything that we pursue in it? So Surgeon General's warning in here, heads up, we're going to jump into real practical life. And we're going to follow our author into difficult questions. Questions that paralyze people. When they lose someone close to them, questions that steep even successful people into depression, and questions that make happy people turn against God whenever they receive an awful diagnosis. Hope you're buckled up. Turn your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes. If you don't know where it is, cut your Bible in half. You should land in Psalms, Proverbs, somewhere in there. Ecclesiastes comes right after Proverbs, same author. And it's going to be really to your benefit if you have a physical Bible tonight so that you can bounce around some of the verses with me. You'll see how they connect in really cool ways. So Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Now, this word preacher can also mean teacher. Ultimately, it means someone who is addressing a big crowd. And so they translate it into preacher. And it's defined as the son of David and the king of Jerusalem. And right now, Solomon isn't just name-dropping his dad or establishing his royalty. He's setting up the book that will take him seriously. Not because he's royalty, but because he is in a prime position to have experienced life in its fullness... Analyze it through wisdom, and then communicate to us the findings. And Solomon, anointed and gifted by God with the gift of wisdom, wisdom that people came all around the world and traveled thousands of miles to hear for themselves, this guy is communicating something very important to us. So this is who it is, the preacher, the son of David. Let's look at verse 2. What he does is he's going to take his entire book, all his search, all his life's added up wisdom, and he's going to give us the answer before he digs into the questions. And he begins right here in verse 2. This is the conclusion of the book in the introduction. Here we go. Vanity of vanities. It's like putting an EST at the end of a word. Not just big, but biggest. This is the vanity. Of all the vanities, this is vanity the vainest. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? That's the question that's going to be repeated again and again and again. In other words, what is the point of all the work that we do? And he has already given us his answer. It's vanity. All of life's efforts, pursuits, everything we sweat for, work for, save for, study hard for, beg God for, stay up late for, all comes up to a sum of vanity of vanities, all is vanity. The word here for vanity is the word hevel. I'm going to use it a lot tonight because hevel is easily misunderstood Some translations use the word meaningless or pointless. But that's not what Hevel means. So this is important to kind of like lay the groundwork. Hevel literally means smoke, vapor, or an illusion. So it doesn't necessarily mean meaningless. It means that it's impossible to grab, that it's temporary, that it's impermanent, that it looks like one thing but then it changes to be another, that it's hard to grab a hold of. Solomon intends to deconstruct all the ways that we struggle to find meaning apart from God. And he's going to spend the next 12 chapters documenting it. And his conclusion is already available for us. Hevel, hevel, everything is smoke. Everything is vapor. Everything is illusions. Smoke impairs the sight like driving in a fog. What's stable or certain is hard to see. It's like a vapor that can take one shape and then change randomly or vanish altogether. It's like an illusion which may look solid, but when you reach to grab it, it has no substance. Our teacher isn't saying that life is pointless or meaningless, but all of our, all of our pursuits are like a cloud or a mirage. They don't hold weight. They don't hold validity, and they don't stand for the value that we place on them. This is our lives apart from God. And he's going to lay out three big themes in all of Ecclesiastes. Go read this for yourself because we're not going to go over every verse. And the big three themes are this. Time erases everything. Everybody dies. And life is often completely random. This, these three things, are his three hevels, his three conclusions about life. You feeling positive right now? Yeah, I'm so pumped up and motivated. Let's dig in. The first one that we're going to talk about tonight is that time is the great eraser. So good. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, let's start in verse 3. We're going to go 3 through 5 and then jump 9 through 11 to save some time. What does a man gain by all of the toil at which he toils under the sun. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and it hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around from the north and around and around goes the wind. Let's jump to verse 9. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing which it can be said, see, this thing is new? Ah, It's been done already in the ages before us. There's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. And there's your key right there. There's not going to be any remembrance of things, nor is there going to be any remembrance of things that we do, or our grandkids do, or them after them. One author writes, we write our names in the sand, and then the waves roll in and wash them away. So all that is, all that has been, is going to be erased by time. And this next 60 seconds that's about to happen, that's about to be, you know, written, I've got a pencil, that's about to be written. When we step into that, the 60 seconds we're in now, it's totally gone. You can't revisit it. It's faded from Forever. And sometimes some of, the, some of the bangs along the line will echo for a minute. They may make a splash and a ripple, but just like the echo in cave walls, just like the splash in a still lake, they just weaken as they spread out into time. Further, everything that we've done has been done before, and everything that we've done is going to be done again. You and I are just a blip of time in the brevity of a single firecracker. I like this example. It's kind of fun for me because I'm sort of old school and a dork. I'm going to give you a list of actors, actresses, musicians, models, and comedians. Now, their heyday was 60 years ago. That's their heyday, and two of them are actually still alive today. Let's see how many of them you remember. Now, I don't want you to raise your hand if you know their name, I want you to raise your hand if you can tell me a song they sang or a movie that they were in. All right, so show of hands. First name, Humphrey Bogart. Show of hands. Yes, adults, I know. James Cagney. Ginger Rogers. Herb Alpert. Yes. Good job. One. Here we go. Catherine Hepburn. Not Audrey Hepburn. Catherine Hepburn. George Burns, Dean Martin, oh, a couple of y'all. Wait, wait, wait. But do you know a work that he did? All right, let's keep going. How about Raquel Welsh? Lou Costello? Oh, my heart hurts. Doris Day? Cary Grant? Marlon Brando? Can you name know the work that he did? Nope, don't believe you yet. Mickey Rooney. Judy Garland. Nope, you got a name a work that she did. Yes, you got one. Good job, good job. George Harrison. No, no, wait, wait, I want to just see. I want to see how many hands. Wave your hands first before you say anything. Who knows a work by George Harrison? All right, one, two, three, sort of. One song by George Harrison. All right. Annette Finchello. Nope. All right, so eight of those people made it in the 2000s. Two of them are actually still alive. So we're only maybe two generations apart from their big splash, their big bang. And this generation has almost entirely forgotten them. And they were as big a superstars as anyone you can name today. World-renowned which means that everyone that is the most famous that you can think of today, 60 years from now, their careers will be as washed out as these people whose records are gathering dust in attics. This is the timeline that I'm describing. And if these people who made big splashes are so easily forgotten, how much more should we be honest about ourselves? And you know what? This was what brings us to his question. What does a man gain by all the work that he does under the sun? You know, our culture today is very much focused on self. Everyone's focused on how important they are. It's preached by every celebrity. It's advocated by the accounts of every influencer. And it's constantly the focus of psychology. There's no higher purpose. There's no greater good than self. You've got to do what's best for you. And you being yourself is you being the biggest hero. You know, a wise man once said, if you don't have a purpose bigger than yourself, then you just become your own purpose. And that is the picture of our society. Everyone is living for themselves. Narcissism has become so normal that we don't even recognize it anymore. Everyone is so engrossed in their online presence and who's looking at them. Our social media accounts have become nothing less than little temples to ourselves where we're gathering as many worshipers as we can. But Solomon deflates all of this and puts it right up there under the lights and says, look at the reality of everything we strive for. When we pull our heads out of the sand, we see that everything is Hevel and we are just a blip on the timeline. So point one is that time erases everything. Point two, if this is true and so much of what we do has so little lasting value, we are forced to confront the reality that most of what we do is a waste of our limited time. The average American spends two and a half hours every day on social media, usually has about four or more streaming accounts, sends 85 text messages a day, and if you're a gamer, you probably spend about seven and a half hours a week playing video games. These and a host of a bunch of other activities put the average American, whew, Spending seven hours and 44 minutes looking at a screen every day. Almost a third of our lives is spent looking at a screen. Our precious and limited time is passing by, and we don't even know it because we're so distracted. The teacher of Ecclesiastes is putting life on trial and demanding that we look at it clearly. And the unspoken challenge is that we spend most of our time in things that are totally insignificant. And what's scary is that perhaps someday, when the sand of our hourglass is almost run out, we just might be jarred to the reality that most of our lives were wasted. Solomon was one of the most important people on earth, and he realized in his twilight years that he spent most of his life in vain pursuits. So let's ask some questions. Are there any exceptions? Are there any achievements or pursuits that matter? If so, wouldn't it be wisdom to pursue knowing what lasts? Wouldn't it be wisdom to begin investigating, investing our limited time into those things? And Solomon asks the same questions. And if you roll to chapter two, which I hope you'll read it later, Solomon actually digs through seven different things that seem like they make a lot of sense. He talks about pursuing pleasure, He had it all. He had every enjoyable thing. It says that he withheld nothing from himself, and yet it brought no lasting satisfaction. He built stuff. He built houses, gardens, vineyards, on and on and on, building projects that he hoped would make him remember, but they brought no lasting satisfaction. He amassed wealth more than anyone else, more gold, more silver, more treasures. And again, it was the same. All was Hevel. He pursued wisdom. Certainly, wisdom would satisfy. Certainly, it would be meaningful and lasting. And yet, even wisdom in verses 12 through 16 of chapter 2 comes up with nothing. He, what about the idea of passing on wealth to the next generation? That actually made him angry. Striving for meaning through hard work. The struggle makes you sorrowful, gives you sleepless nights. It's heavy as well. Even believing that blessings or miseries are linked to goodness or evil and some sort of spiritual karma didn't provide satisfaction or meaning. And in the middle of all these verses, with a gut-wrenching conclusion, he writes in chapter 2, verse 10, he says, Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil, the work, the efforts I had extended in doing it. And behold, it was all hevel and a striving, a grabbing after the wind. There's that, that mist, that smoke, that, that illusion. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Finally, Solomon even admits depression in verse 17. He says, I hated life because what was done under the sun was so grievous to me. For all is vanity, all is hevel and striving after the wind. So time erases everything, and two, the time that we have, we spend a lot of time wasting. So let's dig into the third point. Where do we find stability and purpose? Now Solomon's going to take sort of like a a detour here, but he's going to come back with full force. Go to chapter 3 with me. Let's begin in verse 1. He opens it up. Now keep all of this in our minds. Time erases everything. Everything that he has pursued has come up with nothing. It's come up with mist, smoke, illusion. Hold that in the back of your mind. He's going to zoom out of, of looking at everything he's examining and look at it from a bigger picture. Chapter 3, verse 1. For everything, there is a season and a time. That's our key word tonight. A time for every matter under heaven a time to be born, and a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up what's planted, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek, and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. So he's zoomed out and he's looking at all of these seasons that we go through. Day to day, we come in and out of these seasons, almost like a cycle moving from one to the other. But here is the clincher. And this is the part that if you miss this, you're going to miss everything else for the rest of the night and you're going to be left in this weird nihilistic look at life. But follow me in this clincher. Here's the clincher. We are actually at the mercy of every one of these seasons. Not the other way around. Despite our greatest efforts, we don't have control over each of these periods of our lives. A farmer doesn't send a memo to the weather of when he intends to plant. No, his life has to conform to the season he is in. You and I did not choose the day that we would be born in the same way that we really don't choose the day that we will die. It is as left up to the seasons. We live in a self-created illusion that we have control. We grapple in stress and stress. And make our environments and our futures as predictable as possible. But in reality, we are still moving in an unrelenting river current that we are only vaguely aware of. And Solomon's pulling us out. He's pulling our heads up and he's going, look, you are in this string of season after season after season, and one by one, as your life enters them, you are responding to them. And you should respond to them. It's appropriate and wise to respond to each season, and you don't have control. No matter how hard you grab the reins, you can't steer the river. You can't grab the wind. You are in it, and you're moving with it. You think you have control, but an honest evaluation reveals that you don't. Verse 9 what gain has the worker from his toil? Well, we already know his answer. All is heavily. I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. All right, so he drops us a little hope that there is something for God to ha- that God has us to be doing. But Solomon's kind of like juking back and forth here. He's going to go back to his time discussion. Let's keep going. God has made everything. Whoa. Wait a minute. Let's let's not skip over that. We're in a discussion about seasons coming and going that we are in a current that we have no control over. But these are not arbitrary or random. Verse 11, he has made everything beautiful in its time. This invisible force that we're carried by, that we can shake our fist at, and yet we are still in it, still submitted to it, a servant to it. This force is not a meaningless, unintentional, mindless force. It is, in fact, the intentional, omnipotent, omniscient, and sovereign will of God that we are moving through and moving with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Not only is God the force behind the movement of life, but God has actually taken even those things that we see as bad, war, tearing, killing, mourning, sorrow, and He, in His wisdom, His wisdom that's greater than what the greatest man of wisdom could ever wrap his mind around. In God's wisdom, he takes every one of these seasons and every season that's not listed here and he works it together to be beautiful in his time. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. All these changing seasons are God's doing. His plan has been in place since before time, and his plan encompassed all of time, from beginning to end. Further, God has put something special in our hearts, something that reminds us that right now, this line of firecrackers is not it. It's not the full reality of our existence, that there is more after, that there is deeper than we see. God has put eternity to our hearts, and yet, although we feel it and we sense it, that there's more going on than what we can see, that there is lasting longer than some sort of historical timeline, we grapple. It's in us to hunger, to know more, to see God's plans, to see his purposes, to see his reasons, and yet he's left that door closed. He has put eternity into man's hearts, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. Verse 10 reminds us that God has, even though we don't understand all he's doing, he's given us purpose to be busy with. Verse 12, I perceive that there is nothing better for them, than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all of his toil and all of his work. This is God's gift to man. So apart from circumstances, find joy and live righteously. Savor the fruit of hard work. Now, listen to this. Verse 14. Remember, we're going back to, we keep, we're juking back and forth. We're going back to this discussion of time. I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken away from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. Now, this is on purpose because we are juxtaposing two things. We have in verse 9, it says, The outcome of all man's work is hevel, mist, smoke. Illusion. The greatest thing that man can achieve with his hardest work is temporary, not grabbable. In verse 14, it says, But whatever God does is eternal, of highest worth, unchanging, and unstoppable. This is all that man can achieve, and man's work is temporary in time and ultimately he still has no control over life seasons compared with God whose works are eternal and permanent and God who is sovereign, in control over all the epochs of history. And he's in control over our lives. So choosing joy, living righteously, and enjoying the benefits of hard work are elements that God has asked man to do. But we're still early in Solomon's wrestling. We're still early in his discourse. They might be true, but they're not complete. Let me fast forward with you. Let's jump to the very end of Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Let's arrive with Solomon at the end before we go back in time next week and look at the next stage. What is it that God has put us to work to do? What is lasting? What is permanent? It must be anchored to God. It has to, because everything that we can do in our strength sums up and amounts to, and it's on. The only thing that's lasting, the only thing that has weight, the only thing that can be grabbed onto permanently must be attached to the only one who is eternal and the only one who works things perfectly and sovereignly. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, let's go right to the end. Verse 13. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. You see... Time will erase everything. 60 seconds ago when I was talking about something, then it's gone. You can't access it again. You can listen to it on the podcast, which you'll hear on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. But that moment's gone. It's been totally erased. But what is timeless is who we serve. What is timeless is our faithfulness to him because even though time has erased it, Our God, who is eternal outside of time, is ever aware of every faithfulness that we do, just as he is aware of every rebellion that we do. It's erased by time, but it's ever present in the mind of God, just like your phone can be destroyed, but all your pictures are saved in the cloud. There's three practical applications I want to point out here. First, slow down. Enjoy the fruit of your hard work. If you're not working hard, work hard and enjoy the fruit of it. We have to learn to rejoice in all seasons to savor life and its roller coaster for what it is and not what we think it should be. Because the ups and downs are actually both gifts from God. Seasons that he has appointed in his timing. And from his perspective, they're beautiful. The second is that we can take peace that God is consistent in the hevel. And his loving attention is on you. To God, you're not just a flashbang, one that has come and gone in a moment. Our God has turned the spotlight of his love and directed it towards you. Of all the universe, we're a speck floating in a speck in a galaxy that's a speck on a timeline that's thousands of years with eight, other, eight billion other people and God's eternal love. Not because you're so significant, but because of his love, he has his eyes on you. That is the God that we serve. To God, you're not just the 17th firecracker. You're his creation. And those who call on him to be their Lord, you're his son, you're his daughter. Third, serving him has eternal value. Everything else that we chase for meaning, for permanence, is empty and temporary. But serving God and serving people lasts. When we stand before him, when he judges all that is good and all that is evil, it will stand. He who is steadfast and immovable is the only one that's worth pursuing and anchoring what we do in. So begin to pursue Him and invest in lasting things. I had a friend and a mentor, and he once told me that the only thing we can take to heaven is our relationships. The first relationship must be with God and the relationships with the people around us. Do you have a relationship with God? Or are you still chasing temporary things without value? Jesus speaks to this in Matthew 6, 19, and He says, Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? Because here, moth and rust destroy them. Thieves can break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures where? In eternity, in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy or thieves break in and steal. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Is your heart invested in temporary or eternal things? Later, Jesus tells his disciples, if any of you would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What is Jesus saying? If you're willing to invest in what is eternal, you're going to have eternal life. If you're only going to invest in things that are temporary, your life will slip away. Hevel. Mist, vapor, smoke, all of it slips away. So, what do we do now? My challenge for you is that you do a serious reflection and that you repent from chasing momentary pleasures and eroding successes. That you turn from sin and make your life about something greater than yourself. Make your life about something that's eternal. Someone who's eternal. Fear God. Obey His commandments. Recognize God as the Lord of your life. He's already in control. As might as well, submit and acknowledge it. Acknowledge Him as your King. Recap. Time erases everything. All we do, all we work for is temporary, instable, and ultimately unsatisfying. We waste the time we have with pursuits that end up with empty outcomes. And an honest look sees God is the one in control, and all he does is eternal, stable, even beautiful. His expectation of us is to put our energy, money, and time into what is lasting and serve him. So we have got two challenges for you. You'll unpack them a little more in E groups. One, make a list of things which have eternal significance. And two, evaluate a 24-hour day in your life and look for places of wasted time and begin to commit just a part of that towards something eternal. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the men and women in this room. Lord, empower them, challenge them, wake them up. Lord, I pray that, I pray that there are people in this room that are jarred by tonight and that want to grab onto something that's stationary and secure. Show yourself to them. Give them a hunger for Jesus Christ, who gave himself so that we might know who is above the temporary. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and a special thanks to all of you who have subscribed, shared episodes, and left reviews. If you would like to learn more about Elevate, you can visit us at iloveelevate.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for everything you do that brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. Now go follow Jesus.